With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. We're glad you joined us on this episode. I get a chance to visit with the great Andre Ward. Uh, He is, of course, uh, going to be inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame, deservedly so. Uh, got in on the first ballot that he was eligible on, which is extraordinary. And there was a lot of competition for him to get in, but uh, rightfully, he is a first ballot Hall of Famer. And of course, we're going to answer some of your questions uh, that you send to me on Twitter, at Al Bernstein. And to help with that is my good friend, Mr. Trip Mitchell. Hey, Trip, how are you? I am doing great and excited to have Andre Ward back again because he is he, really the whole package. You know, a guy who is a consummate Hall of Fame boxer, super nice guy, and has turned out to be a great, great, great broadcaster. Can you think of anyone else in the sport who has got all those abilities and and combined into one guy? Yeah, it's 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 a tough one because he's a Hall of Fame boxer and also, uh, you know, uh, a fine broadcaster and all the rest. I somebody that I you know, I, I worked with two men that had a lot of those qualifications uh, Antonio Tarver and Paulie Malignaggi, who were fine boxers and uh, very good um, color commentators as well, uh, though I, you know, neither of them has yet made it to the Hall of Fame, uh, whether they will is another whole nother question. Uh, but Andre Ward certainly overall is, uh, puts together a remarkable package for the sport of boxing. And this particular interview, I think fans are really gonna enjoy. This is, this is actually one of my favorite interviews that I've done in this whole series of shows that we've had. So I think you're gonna find him uh, really fascinating. And when it comes to the Hall of Fame, does does it mean as much to boxers as maybe I, I, if you look at the other sports, the Baseball Hall of Fame is the one that's on the highest pedestal. Does does the Boxing Hall of Fame mean as much to boxers or in your case yourself? Oh, I think 100 percent. Yeah, it's total validation. And in this conversation, I think people will get the imp- the idea from Andre Ward, just how much it means. But I, I've never bumped into a boxer that took it, um, you know, lightly uh, and and not really any other people. You know, boxing, the Boxing Hall of Fame is very generous to those that are not going in as boxers. It's, it's for the boxers. It's the boxer's house is the way I look at it. But for those of us that have been inducted who uh, do other tasks in the sport of boxing, it's, uh, they're very generous in, in allowing us to be there. So certainly nobody, uh, whether it's a broadcaster or, or a promoter or, any, or a writer or anybody else that gets into the Boxing Hall of Fame is going to take that uh, for granted. Okay, well, let's get, we've got a 
Great question to lead off. I want to thank Donovan Casp. What can be done to stop all this confusing nonsense in regard to secondary world titles? It's maddening. Try to explain this to a new fan of the sport, and they'll instantly pick a different sport to follow. Yeah, it's a big problem. You know, boxing is its one of the biggest problems in boxing, and it it's part of a bigger problem. The biggest problem is that there's four organizations that sanction champions, WBO, WBC, WBA, and IBF. And so at any given time, it's very possible and often likely to have four different champions in one weight division. Ray Mancini famously, uh, when he had uh, the world championship in the lightweight division and Harry Arroyo also had a version of the lightweight championship and they both came from Youngstown, Ohio. (laughs) And Ray Mancini (laughs) uttered the famous line, how many worlds are there? So, uh, you know, that was an apt uh, description of things. So you have that problem. Now they've added another layer to the problem, and that is these organizations are making super champions and interim champions. We just recently had a fight for an interim championship. And the only, you know, there's not too much to be done with it at this point. It's hard to do away with, you know, the genies out of the bottle. But one of the things that can be done, and we do it on our show on Showtime, and I think a lot of other platforms do too when they're announcing these fights, when it's an interim championship or a gold championship, as in the WBA, they have a gold champion, whatever that is, when you're doing these kind of uh, things, you just don't mention the, the title. You don't talk about it. You don't treat it like it's a world championship fight of any kind. The fighters may refer to it, and it might be on the, you know, the graphic but you just don't give it that kind of weight. And that's one way to, uh, um, to deal with it. You know, for fans, it's confusing. And I think, especially for casual fans, you know, every other sport, you know who is the champion. So um, it's an issue and uh, unfortunately one that will continue to dog boxing. Okay. Next question from Michael WBA. If network or promotional roadblocks were not an issue, who would you like to see Gervonta Davis fight next? That's a, that's a really intriguing question. Of course, there have been talks, even though now it, 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 we're not sure whether uh, Ryan Garcia will fight Manny Pacquiao. He seems to indicate that's a strong possibility. There, there has still been talks about Garcia fighting Gervonta Davis. I think that's a terrific fight, and I would love to see that fight. If you, if you put uh, it in my head that he could fight anybody and that there was no restrictions. I think the answer to that has to be Tiafimo Lopez because Tiafimo Lopez is coming off this great win against Vasily Lomachenko. He is a fighter that has great power, great skill, and has stamped himself, I think, as just a, a terrific lightweight champion. And we know that a battle between the two of them would would be between two really big punchers. Uh, and there's no question there would be big punches landed. There could be a knockout, uh, and it would be a very exciting fight. So while I love the matchup between Davis and Garcia and would be perfectly happy with it, if, if you'd said the dream matchup uh, that would happen uh, for me it would be uh, Davis and Lopez. I think that one is pretty extraordinary. Uh, Andre Ward was in some dream matchups and uh, uh, comported himself both in the 168-pound division and the 175-pound division extremely well. He was a multiple-time champion. Uh, I think he defined the 168-pound division, made it his own, and uh, 
uh, and we had a chance in this episode to chat with Andre Ward, and here he is. Andre, uh, since I last got a chance to speak to you, and by the way, thanks again for doing the show. I really appreciate it. You have been in, uh, named to be inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame, not surprisingly, on the first ballot in which you were eligible. Um, but in going in, you went in in a year that the competition to go in was extraordinary, and yet it was still a given that you would go in. Um, I'm imagining that uh, that's as gratifying as it gets. I mean, look, uh, what can I say? I mean, uh, just the Hall of Fame nod by itself is just, I mean, that's what you dream of. You know, that that's what this thing is all about. And it's a, it's a lofty dream when you're a kid, but that's what my dad and my godfather, Verge, my trainer, that's what we had on the, on the books, like national championship, gold medal, world championship, Hall of Famer. And we checked those boxes. And to be able to, to know that it's official, and I tweeted this out, you feel like, you know, you can finally rest because the way I was brought up in the game, we didn't really enjoy our victories. You know, we, we'd kind of rest on our laurels for, for a week or so and, and kind of bask in it. But we always had that mentality, you know, you're only as good as your last fight. Put that behind you. We still got work to do. So so now that it's officially over and that has officially happened, and I'm a first ball of ho- ballot Hall of Famer, I can kind of exhale a little bit. That's it. That's really an interesting way to look at it, that it's not until this moment, even though you're not active as a fighter anymore, this is like the final validation, the final hill to climb. And now you can literally just completely enjoy all your memories. And to your, to your point, I mean, I'm the baby in the group. Like, like, how am I getting inducted with Floyd Mayweather and Bernard Hopkins and, and Ann Wolf and Layla Ali and like, you know, like, like, how's that, how's that happening? Like, I, I'm, the, I was an amateur watching them on interesting and big fights and to be going in at the same time. I mean, it's one thing to be inducted, but to be inducted with this class is, is, it blows my mind. That's, that's really an interesting point. And the reason of course you were inducted is because I'm, I think if I've got this correctly as an amateur and a pro, you were unbeaten over about four presidential administrations. (laughs) I think I think you you crossed about four. You 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 barely lost as an amateur. You did this for many years, and then you never lost as a pro. So defeat was something that was alien to you. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, the, part of that honor, too, of course, as you say, is uh, going in with such an august uh, group. Um, have you thought about? And you're gonna. Uh, we're, they hopefully will have. Uh, um, you know. Uh, ceremonies and which they're going to combine two years. Uh, have you already thought about your speech for that day? A little bit, a few, a few thoughts, a few thoughts, but, but I don't have, you know, I don't, I don't have it right now. I don't have it. Um, it's just so many people to thank and, and so many things to say. And, um, but you only get one chance to say it. It's true. Yeah. I remember, I remember there when I was inducted, I thought to myself, you know, you want to keep it around 11 minutes cause you don't want to go forever. And Steve Farhad made the point to me, he said the problem, because he also, when he did his speech, you do have so many people to thank that your thank yous could take 11 minutes, right? You know, without even saying anything quantitatively about the experience. And you don't want to leave anybody out that, that, that played a role. Yeah. It's, it's amazing with, with, you know, this kind of journey, because it's so many people that played roles. You know, some people were there from the beginning, some people came midway through, and some people 
played an you know integral part toward the right. end of your career, but it, it was meaningful and you needed them. So yeah, that that's something I got I got to work through, but it's a good problem to have. Your boy is it ever? That's as nice a problem as you could you as you could possibly have. And I think a, a big part of it too is that you, um, I I always say that you know you you're one of those people that kind of defines uh, a division. Even though you're a great light heavyweight, uh, I think people think of you probably along with my good friend Joe Calzaghe as you know people that kind of uh, made that 168 pound division something really, really special. And you put it on another level, which is an, an interesting feather to have in your cap that not many fighters do. I mean, ju just being involved with a tournament, right? Like not just yeah. any tournament, but, but a tournament that hadn't really been done before. I mean, you had the four-man tournament, you know, that Bernard Hopkins and Keith Holmes and William Joppe and Felix Trinidad took part in. But this was a little bit different. Yeah. They fought... One time, if they moved, if they won that fight, they moved on to the finale. We had a two-year affair, yeah, around robin where you had to lose twice. Um, and this was the best in the division. And here I am, you know, a contender. I'm on the I'm on the cusp of you know, sort of a fringe guy who 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 may or may not be ready for a championship, and right. then I'm thrown in the in the in the shark infested waters like that. And that was really a moment where either I was going to rise like I did, or that could have been a career ender. And for, for to be able to get through that, um, even the injuries and the setbacks and the replacements, you know, certain guys fell out. Jermaine Taylor fell out. Alan Green came in. Um, Andre Durrell fell out. Saki Obika came in. Like, to be able to survive something like that um, is it, it, pretty phenomenal. So I, I'm, I'm thankful for my run at Light Heavy, but you're right. What made me and what solidified my legacy, I think, was what I did at 168. Yeah, it was a trial by fire in that Showtime tournament, to be sure. I was, uh, 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 it was a great thing to watch and be a part of. You now, of course, are um, one of the preeminent broadcasters in the sport of boxing, uh, working on ESPN, and have become a, a really interesting chronicler of the sport. You know, you, you are taking your role, um, I think, uh, to another level and and helping to boxing fans to understand the sport and um, uh, and really uh, enjoy it. And you've settled in now to that role. And has anything of that journey surprised you in any way, uh, either in terms of reactions to things you do or uh, or 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 how the process has gone? I wouldn't say that it is surprising, um, you know, because I, I, you know, and people know this, that, you know, you're one of my mentors, you know, Jim Lampley, Max Kellerman, you know, Joe Tessitore, the list goes on and on. Uh, and I've been around the broadcasting game for going on 10 years. I've actually broadcast for close to a decade now. That's true. And people don't realize that because, you know, when I was with Showtime and HBO, you know, it's four or five times a year. Now it's 20, 25 times a year. So right. they see me more often. But I've been around the game. I've learned from you guys. I've seen reactions to things that I've said, you've said. And so I, I can't say that I'm surprised by much, but it, it, just, it just I just always laugh and kind of, you know, just just chuckle a little bit when you do say something and, and you go on Twitter and you go on Instagram when you go online and you hear people that may or may not have been following the sport for very long. I don't want to just call them call them casuals, but a lot of times it is casuals. And, and it's not that they have a, a just an opinion. It's a polarizing opinion. Right. Yes. How dare you? 
what are you talking about? How, you, what were you looking at? Yeah, this is crazy. And I'm just like, listen, let, like, I don't have time to explain this to everybody, but I've been doing this for some time now. I'm not always right, but I kind of know what I'm talking about. Right. That part is always something that I don't think you understand it, but you're never going to get comfortable with it because your first mind is like, hold on, man. Like, I'm a lifer in this. Like, wait a second. What are you talking about? But you got, you know, you got to deal with it the right way. You deal with it gracefully and you, and you keep moving. But what I also like about that is whether somebody agrees with you or not. Right. In the conversation. Right. We have the people talking about a sport we love and a sport we've dedicated our lives to. So it's not yeah. always a bad thing. No, you want people talking. And the thing that has changed so dramatically is social media. You know, I, uh, before that, you didn't get the instant reaction. You might occasionally bump into somebody or somebody may write a story about it or somebody might, you know, but the social media makes it an instant onslaught. You go back to your hotel room and if you're, if, if, if you dare to look at the social, Twitter or Facebook or anything, it's like, uh-oh. And, 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 the, and the funny thing is, I don't know if this happens to you, sometimes things that I think were so benign that couldn't possibly engender a reaction does. Exactly. exactly. And you can, you can, I mean, literally, if you happen to look at your phone during a break or, or something, in between, yes. like, people will text. You know, you may get you may get Twitter alerts like it like you're right. It's in real time. Yeah. You don't always have to say something polarizing. You just have to say something that somebody doesn't like or doesn't agree with. That's for sure. You uh, were a big part of boxing um, returning from the pandemic uh, in in the on the ESPN fights. And, we, uh, you know, I always say that. Um, uh, ESPN and Bob Arum uh, played a, a, a big role in getting the sport back. It was kind of like, you, you know, it was the guinea pig of, of, of everything because they had to figure it out. How do we come back? How do we do it before anybody else did? Um, and you kind of ushered that in as, as, as an announcer and then carried on as boxing continued to find its footing after the pandemic. I personally thought that the sport did a pretty good job, as I think did almost all sports, of coming back from this difficult situation and finding ways to provide that entertainment for fans. Is that a fair assessment? I, I think so. You know, I, I, like, I, I don't think, you know, and I got to give, you know, top rank and ESPN a lot of credit for that yeah. because they jumped into the fire. And I'm talking about the fire of the pandemic when nobody else wanted to stick right. their tongue in there. And, and it was very, um, very difficult. It was a lot of moving pieces. And I mean, you know, I never thought in a million years that I'd be calling live boxing from my home office. <laughs> yeah. You no, know, like I literally tell my kids, hey, be quiet. Dad's going to be in here for about three hours. Right. I get my suit on, put my jeans on, put my Jordans on. And I come in my office and I'm in here for three hours and they can hear me and see me on the television. Yeah. And I'm calling live fights. So I never thought that that would happen. And I got to tip my hat to the other guys that we work with. And they just did a great job. And, it, yeah. you know, we had some clumsy moments. We had to figure things out. But all in all, to be able to take that leap and give fighters opportunities. And what I was pleased about, Al, was... No, we weren't putting on championship level fights, but we were giving fighters right. an opportunity to a continue to make a living. And some Agreed. guys, this is their only living and or supplemental, in, in, you know, income that they really, really need. But then but then guys that didn't have a name in the sport, all of a sudden they got some buzz and they got some notoriety to me being a guy who came in in the front door, so to speak, with a gold medal right. and, and, and kind of, you know, maintained a certain level of, of status throughout the course of my career. I appreciated that 
for those guys. It doesn't always have to be a championship fight where this guy's a champion and that guy's a champion. We love those moments, but the pandemic afforded that for those fighters. And then that kind of gave everybody else the opportunity to create their bubbles and, and, and put championship boxing back, back on the map. That's really an, an excellent point. Some young potential stars or, or not even young, but people that had been paying their dues became known like Collard and Berlingas and those guys that got an opportunity and now they are, they've put themselves on the map. And that's everything for guys. Sometimes if you come from a small town or even in a big city and you've been grinding away in obscurity and then all of a sudden you get on ESPN and then you go back home. I mean, it's hard to quantify what that means to a, to a fighter and a trainer when they're on national television like that, especially during a pandemic when everybody's at home watching. Very good point. You have some uh, intriguing matches. You know, boxing has, has, has for the first quarter of this year, uh, has some pretty good matches on, on the board. Um, and you have one of the ones that you're going to be calling, which I think is really an interesting one. Uh, is Miguel Burchelt, who cannot be in a, a a fight that's anything but exciting, and Oscar Valdez, who cannot be in anything that's not exciting. So it would be shocking if it wasn't exciting. Uh, that is like the classic boxing battle, isn't it? Man, I don't know. I don't know where to start with that fight. I just know that I'm excited to call it. Um, you know, our team is already you know having meetings and breaking this fight down. You know, it's weeks away. And I know on paper, and I got a lot of respect for both fighters. Um, right. They've done thus far and where I think they're going to go ultimately in their careers. You know, their stories are still being written. Legacies are still being built. But on paper, I know that Burchelt is the easy pick for most. Right. And even Burchelt came out recently and said, whoa, whoa, whoa. You guys aren't giving Valdez enough credit. Right. And, and I agree. And I, But I understand why, right? Because right. Valdez hasn't looked great in his last two or three fights. You right. know, he had the broken jaw. He had some issues. He got with Eddie Reynoso, Team team Alvarez. And he's trying, he's in this, this, this metamorphosis period where he's trying to find himself. Who's the, who's the new me where I'm still a warrior, but I'm not going out there getting my, my jaw wire shut every other fight. So he's kind of been stuck in that in-between period. Right. And that's what people have been seeing. They haven't really seen him box really great. And then they haven't really seen him fight really great. So people are assuming that he's going to have that same style or that have that same confusion going into the fight with Burchelt. And I'm still analyzing this fight and I don't have a pick, but I'm not quite ready to write off Oscar Valdez. He's a former champion. This guy has a great coach in Eddie Reynoso. He's got a great team and fighters have a way out, as you know, of rising to the occasion, especially when they know that the majority of boxing fans in the world are doubting them. Valdez is a champion level caliber fighter. He's got great teaching. He just has to go out there and execute. Not going to be easy against Burchelt, who does a lot wrong defensively, but he's got bricks in his hands. <laughs> and he throws a lot of punches. And similar to Vasily Lomachenko when he fought Lopez, a fighter can feel those bricks. They know if that punch hits him on the shoulder or grazes them on the top of the head. They don't want to get hit by that punch, so they won't open up. That's what Valdez is going to have to manage and figure out. But right now, this is a 50-50, maybe 60-40 fight, you know, leaning toward a Burchell. But 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 this is you can't lose with this fight. Yeah. No, no question it'll be exciting, that's for sure. One of the one of the things that uh uh boxing fans get a kick out of 
and I do too, because both of you are friends of mine and I get a charge out of both of you, and you know where I'm headed with this, is you and my good friend Tim Bradley, who have the most intriguing uh, uh, chemistry on the air. <laughs> I call it chemistry. Sometimes it's not it's not all, you know, easygoing chemistry. You guys have been known to disagree on, I don't know, every four minutes. On <laughs> but you are so, I, I love both of you guys. And how did, how does that kind of, how does that dynamic, uh, how did that start that way? And how do you guys make that work? Well, first of all, we go way back. I mean, we, yeah. we literally came up together. I'm from Northern California. He's from Southern California, Palm Springs. And I fought Tim before in the amateurs. Tim Bradley fought my brother before in the amateurs. We were literally grown in the sport of boxing neck by neck. So there's a familiarity uh, and, and, and a comfortability there between the two of us. Right. And oftentimes, believe it or not, we see the same thing. We just see right. it a different way. And then sometimes we just flat out disagree. And <laughs> I'm a little bit more, uh, what's the right way to say it? A little bit more- Diplomatic. Yeah, measured with my words. Tim's going to Tim, Tim's tell you how he feels. So you have that dynamic and then you yeah. have Tessator, you know, doing the great job that he's doing. And, and, and Mark Kriegel, obviously, and Bernardo Asuna, all the dynamics fit. You know, we're not we're not on air trying to disagree for the sake of disagreeing. We're just looking at a fight and we sometimes right. see it a different way. And, and I think that's healthy. You know, I don't I don't think we should uh, always see things the right way. I mean, it's not a debate show. So, you know, you got to right. make you keep it classy and, 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 and do it the right way. But I appreciate Tim challenging me sometimes with the way he sees things. And, and I think he appreciates me doing the same. I think you hit on it. If it's a genuine uh, kind of, uh, you know, a little mini debate, and they should only be mini debates when fights are going on, not take up a whole round. That's when we, that's when we start to get in trouble as broadcasters. But when it's genuine, and, and, and one of my gripes with sports casting in general uh, this, at this time is that sometimes people think they need to have debates when they don't need to have debates, uh, and they just debate for the purpose of it. But when you you have a different opinion, it's, it's fun, and you guys are fun to listen to. So yeah, you know. again, it's not it's not first take. You know, we got to leave that right, to precisely. And Max Kellerman, like that's literally a debate show. We have a topic, right. and nine times out of ten, we're going to see it differently, and we're going to argue it different ways. It's not that on air, you know, and and. It is an art, you know, like you said, you know, and sometimes you do get in trouble as a broadcaster. You may go too far one way, but every battle is not there to fight. You may see something different. You just say, okay, we just see it different. Yeah. You know, we'll let the fans decide and, and the fight's playing out in real time. So we'll see how it goes. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, when you look at boxing moving ahead in uh, 2021, what's your general sense of uh, what needs to happen to make this? <clears throat> a successful year for boxing. As I mentioned, there's some good fights already on the board for the first quarter, but and that doesn't have to be about specific fights or anything. But what generally do you think should happen for the sport to um, to improve itself and, 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 and kind of make sure it stays on a certain footing? Well, obviously, you know, we want to continue to have fights in general. That's number one. We want yeah, to right. have the fights come off um, and hopefully, you know, the pandemic quiets down and, and we kind of normalize a little bit. Um, and, and number two, you want, you hope that fans can start to attend fights again, right? you know, not just in places like Texas, you know, hopefully all over the country, uh, even if it comes back slowly, because 
at yep. the at the core and the essence of everything. Yes, it's the fighters getting in there and competing, but it's it's the fans. You want to hear the fans. You want to see the fans. You want to get the reaction from the fans in real time. You know, there's a difference between calling a fight with live fans and a difference right. between not having any fans. So you want to see the fans uh, play their their integral part as they've always done. And then thirdly, for me, I want to continue to see big matchups. Right now, I'm not I'm not. And I've said this many times and I'll continue to say it. So my point is clear. I'm not a guy that's like, oh, you should fight another champion or another top guy every fight out. That's not smart. That's not healthy. Your body can't take that kind of heat. You shouldn't do that. But we're in the era in the generation where based on how promotional outfits are set up and sides are set up. Fighters don't necessarily have to prove the things that they always say. They can make bold claims and maybe they have a number to back it up, 26 and 0, 24 and 0, 23 and 0, whatever it is, but you don't necessarily have the resume to back it up. Like I just watched uh, a classics fight that, that you called with, with Pernell Whitaker and Julio Cesar Chavez, the first one in San Antonio, Texas, I believe. Right. And People just don't realize the amount of risk that was involved for both guys, right? Like Julio had the majority of the fans. If he loses that fight, and I thought and you thought he lost the fight, yeah. but if he loses that fight or like, like on the cards or loses it right. uh, in a bad way, the kind of ridicule and shame he has to deal with, like sure. that's a lot. If, yep. if Whitaker gets knocked out, then all of a sudden, everything he ever did up to that point, people right. say, hey, man, you want a gold medal, but that's it. I knew you were too slick. You're, you're not a yeah. good fighter. Fighters today don't want to face that ridicule. It's a lot safer to stand behind a promotional, managerial, advisorial outfit and just say, well, I can't make those tough fights, but I'm the best. I'm the next one. Right. What I want to see in this year is fighters trusting themselves a little bit more. Take your tune-up fights, man. Get your money. Stack your money. If you can get a good amount of money for a duck every now and again just to stay, you know, keep the rust off and, and, and not fight a top guy. That's all good. But at a certain point, you got to fight a top contender to show you still got it. And then you got to point that other top guy out or top guys out or top ladies out for the ladies that are fighting and say, Hey, I want to fight them. You got to do that periodically. So I'm hoping in this new year that we see more of that. And it's less of, Oh, let me check on my manager. Oh, let me check on my promoter. Yeah. Check with them. But at a certain point as a fighter, you should be calling for those kind of fights. If you're going to be on social media and doing interviews and screaming that you're the next one or you've arrived. And very well put. And media and fans need to find a way to not make a loss the end of the world. You were one of those people who, listen, you went undefeated your whole career. Floyd Mayweather went undefeated. Very few boxers are gonna go undefeated. It just it, you had a couple close calls, so you know you you you. It's not gonna happen. We need to not denigrate fighters who get in a. We want them to get in big fights. Then if they lose, oh my God, we re, as you say, we're rewriting history that you weren't all this and you weren't all that. No, let them come back and have another day. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure, Al, that it's any other sport that does that. No, I agree. Not just combat. If you look at basketball, I mean, you got guys that lose in the playoffs every year. They still get renewed in the offseason. You know, there yeah. may be some, you know, some bad articles written about them, but then come the start of the next season, they're back. They got a fresh opportunity to kind right. of rewrite history and, and, and kind of make 
the wrong right. So I agree. And I'm not sure how we go about that. Yeah, I don't know either. If a fighter is willing to take a risk against another top contender, or another champion, um, and, and they come out on the short end, you got to respect it. Like, like even, you know, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't not Wilder for coming out on the short end. Right. I mean, he took the risk. He stepped up and took the risk in front of the whole world. He came out on the short end of the stick, but I applaud that man and I salute him, not for some of the other stuff that happened right. after the fight, but I'm talking purely what happened. Yes. You got to respect Deontay Wilder for saying, man, I'm the baddest man. And Tyson Fury said, no, I'm the baddest man. And they got in the ring and they figured it out. Wilder came out on the short end, but you got to respect the effort. So I agree, man. And I think just being vocal about those kind of things could be a start to changing that mentality when a fighter does lose. Andre, you are uh, one of the classiest guys in the sport of boxing. I've said it a million times. I will continue to say it. Uh, and you're making your way as one of the best broadcasters. And um, I, for one, one of the my one in 40 years of broadcasting, one of my most joyous things has been watching, getting a chance to announce your fights, watch you develop as a human being and as a fighter, and now watch you become uh, a preeminent broadcaster. So. Uh, uh, it's been a, a great journey just watching what you've done. Man, I appreciate it, man. I, I appreciate your part that you played and still play. And thank you so much, brother. Anytime you need me, I'm here. Thank you, Andre. We'll see you next time. All right. Have a good one. So, Andre Ward, uh, as I promised, I think, uh, enjoyable, interesting, and informative. And uh, I love the comment he made about uh, – you know, doing a, a boxing match and then you, you make the mistake of getting on Twitter and you find out just how poorly you did on that broadcast. <laughs> little, did, little did you know that you had done so poorly in broadcast announcing a fight. Um, we get instant feedback now, so what are you going to do? Do you, uh, do you listen to what the fans say when it comes to critiquing your you know, your you, performance. Yeah, you can't help but see it. And sometimes a critique is quite reasonable. You know, sometimes not. Um, sometimes <laughs> somebody can can tell you something and you, you have to look at it as constructive criticism. Uh, and and I don't think it's bad to be mindful of that. I think you have to be careful that you don't, uh, you know, let that, you know, dictate completely to you. Uh, because somebody can make a, a criticism that is unreasonable, and uh, you obviously want to be aware of that. But uh, sometimes you say things that you think are so benign that there's no conceivable way somebody could take issue with it, and yet somebody does. But I, I think it, for anyone, you know, I'm one of those people that watches every show uh, that I do, goes through a self-critiquing process, and sometimes comments made by others I will go back and look at that show to see if it's accurate. And if it is, well, I, I'm, I'm mindful. And if it isn't, then I can dismiss it. <laughs> so I've having worked a number of fights with you, when you interact with the fans, it, there don't seem to be any jerks out there. Whereas in other sports, sometimes announcers get some crap from the fan. You know, the infamous you suck while you're trying to do a stand-up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, not too many. You know, I haven't – I most of the fans have been very gracious and uh, – uh, you know, they may, there've been a few that, you know, will take issue with things, which is fine when they see you. I think we're less likely to do that when we see somebody, you know, the one thing about Twitter is it makes us more, uh, 
are more likely to be critical or whether it's Instagram or Twitter or any of the social media um, platforms. But but most of the fans have been delightful and I've had a great time interacting with fans, whether it be at a boxing match or when I'm doing one of my music shows or boxing party shows uh, or whatever. It's always been fun for me to talk to boxing fans and get their feedback. And when you and I, you used to occasionally help us out on the Friday Night Fights, which was a double A series in in Vegas. And the fans, when they knew you were there, you could hear people talking about it in the bathroom. Hey, Al's doing this fight tonight. It must be a big deal. Never heard that about me, but uh, uh, you know. but they meant they meant to say it. They were going to okay. say it. They just did, didn't get out. <laughs> okay, uh, Darren O'Hare. Where would you put Floyd Mayweather Jr. in your top 10 of best pound for pound fighters in the history of boxing? Okay, this is, you know, this is one of those uh, debates that you or discussions that you get into. And this is one of those that you can't win on uh, either way. Uh, But here's here's the way I kind of look at it in terms of accomplishments, Floyd Mayweather has done an amazing job with his career, you know, 50, you know, uh, I mentioned uh, on a recent show, he's fought, he fought 18 men that were at some point world champions. He, he's, he beat seven, four men that have gone into the uh, Boxing Hall of Fame, and three more of the people he beat are likely to go into the Hall of Fame. So his accomplishment level is extraordinary. The question is, when you decide on this top 10, are you deciding on people that were the most unbeatable in their divisions? Or are you deciding on the people that accomplish the most? If you're deciding on people that accomplish the most, he'd probably be in there. If I'm deciding on people who are going to beat the most people, to be honest, he would fall a little bit below that top 10. And the reason I, I say that is because I am I think that many some of the greats in the uh, lightweight and and uh, welterweight division, I believe, would win in fights against Floyd Mayweather. Uh, and so, you know, whether it's Tommy Hearns or Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, Aaron Pryor, three that I can think of off the top of my head, I think uh, it, it, which doesn't take away from Floyd's greatness. He's spectacular. He's one, and, he, and by the way, he is one of the four or five best defensive fighters in the history of the sport. I mean, defensively, he is a magician. Um, so he'd probably fall a little bit below if you say who, who is the most unbeatable in their division as you look back in, uh, in history. Uh, but in terms of accomplishments, the answer would be yes. Okay. And do you want to give us a preview of maybe uh, Al Bernstein's top five of all time? Oh, man. To... Uh, you know, this is just off the top of my head. I'm not big on making those lists. Um, Ali would be there. Archie Moore would be there for sure. Joe Lewis would be there. Um, those are the three I'll say are in there. Everybody else is, you know, uh, maybe, you know, Henry Armstrong may probably, uh, whether I, you know, and somebody else is going to take a, that fifth spot. Okay. Oh, well, Sugar Ray I'm... Robinson. What am I talking about? I left out the best of all time. Of course, Sugar <laughs> Ray Robinson is there. He's, he's the greatest that ever lived. And to if if we uh, asked Floyd Mayweather who was the top ten of in the top ten of all time, I think he would make his own list. Well, yeah, he believes that he's at the top of the list. I mean, he's a confident man, and and he's done remarkable things. Um, so he 
he's mentioned that many times that he believes he's <laughs> right in there. And he, he certainly is one of the best fighters who ever lived, for sure, where you rank him or where you put him. Uh, but he's certainly a terrific fighter, whether you got him 12th or 15th or 6th or 4th or wherever, you know, he's a, he's a great fighter. Okay. Our next question from Jorge Lopez. Any thoughts on the potential Pacquiao-Ryan Garcia fight? Yeah. So, of course, we've been all talking about that in the last few days. And Ryan Garcia is suggesting it's almost a fait accompli. And even as people look at this uh, this show, uh, things may be changing and there may be more, uh, you know, happening uh, in, on that front. Uh, th there are a couple ways to look at it. Kevin Ioli, the fine writer for uh, uh, Yahoo Sports. Yahoo Sports, yeah. Uh, I always want to say Google Sports, and it's not Google, of course. It's Yahoo Sports. Um, he wrote a uh, terrific uh, column, and he praised Ryan Garcia. You know, some people are, are annoyed at Ryan Garcia for if he would take that fight for not fighting one of the top lightweights like has been rumored that he would fight Gervonta Davis. And I would love to see him fight Gervonta Davis. Uh, that really would be a fight I'd love to see. But um, Kevin Ioli took the tack that here's this young man saying he wants to fight an all-time great who is at a higher weight class, uh, who hits a lot harder than, some, than, than maybe some of the people he might fight, and uh, that even that you know even though Pacquiao is much older and hasn't fought in two years, it's still a risk, and he would go in as the underdog, Garcia, and he probably would. Um, it's a calculated risk. If if he makes his fight, it's a calculated risk on their part. Uh, he and his uh, promoter Oscar De La Hoya and 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 all the people around him are saying, okay, Manny Pacquiao hasn't fought in two years. He'll get down to. We'll probably have to make a catch weight around 140ish or a little below. We know Pacquiao can get there. We're going to take the risk that we'll be the one to retire him uh, and that that two-year layoff plus his age, I think he's 42 now, uh, is enough for Ryan Garcia to get a win and put himself so much on the map that then when we fight these other lightweight fight the lightweight champions, we have even more bargaining power. Um, I think that's what that is. And for boxing fans, it's not a ridiculous fight to make because it could be very interesting. Um, so, I, you know, I, I'm not one of those ones that is critical of them, though I would like to see Garcia in with the lightweight champions. You would hope that if he did fight Manny Pacquiao, uh, if he won that fight especially, or even if he lost, you'd still probably want to see him in against uh, the lightweight champions. And Garcia has a chance to be the next potential breakout star that's known by not only sports fans, but women and, and you know, the whole, all of North America. He's got yeah, he's, that package. He does. You know, he's one of the people that does. And he's got, he's, you know, he's got a great uh, social media following. And that's, these days, that's a big plus. Uh, and he's very entertaining, good looking young man, good personality. And he's very uh, savvy in terms of his own marketing. And he, and I believe, you know, even other people like Leonard Ellerby, who runs Mayweather Promotions, has been praiseful of the way he's, they, he has moved his career with his people. So uh, it, it, he's, he's got that going for him. Another guy that's got something going for him is Tom Yankello. Tom is the guy that runs World Class Boxing on YouTube. It's a wonderful boxing channel that uh, gives you videos 
that are teaching videos for young boxers, but also videos that you can learn from if you're a boxing champ. So go over and check out World Class Boxing on uh, on YouTube and uh, see Tommy Ankello's videos. They are excellent. We have some fine guests coming up in the future. We are going to have uh, Clarissa Shields coming up. She is committed to doing the show. And of course, we don't have the date yet exactly, but very soon we're going to be having Snoop Dogg on, uh, who is, uh, of course, in addition to being a world famous uh, music performer, is involved in the sport of boxing. Uh, he, he is going to be having a series of boxing uh, that he's going to be involved in. So he's very interested in the sport. And uh, of course, he uh, made his pro- uh, commentary debut on the Jones-Tyson uh, fight and uh, gave everybody uh, some very entertaining moments. So we're, we're excited that we're going to have him on as a guest in the, uh, in the coming shows. Well, Tripp, this is great to be with you, as always. I enjoyed it immeasurably. And uh, you and Snoop Dogg, I, I think he owes you a percentage because you couldn't do the fight. He steps in. And <laughs> the one thing that everyone agreed on is that Snoop was the a major part of that night. Well, he was fun. The funniest line of all, of course, was when uh, Jones and uh, and Tyson were fighting. And right at the beginning, he said, you know, this is kind of like watching a couple of my uncles fight at a barbecue. So that was... <laughs> I thought that was the line of the that was the line of the night. Well, we'll talk to him about that a lot more when he comes on. Uh, thanks to Andre Ward for being our guest. Thanks to Trip for doing his excellent job as uh, co-host. Thanks to the Let's Do Something uh, Productions folks for making this uh, possible. As they do our television show, which of course we urge you to take a look at. It's on uh, eight or nine different networks around the United States, the Caribbean, and Canada. Uh, And uh, we thank you very much for watching. We'll see you next time.